Good morning, church. God is good all the time. Amen. I tell you what, you can't say that enough, can you? God is good, 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 and he is never going to let us down. And isn't that a wonderful truth? Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful truth? Uh, it is good to be here on this Sunday morning. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, and uh, that's where we will look at a passage of Scripture this morning that uh, you'll mostly be familiar with, but you probably wouldn't anticipate it being a part of a message on 4th of July Sunday. But uh, hold your spot there, Mark chapter 10. Um, I, I love uh, 4th of July. Uh, I love Independence Day. Uh, I was born in the Deep South. I, I fought for my country. I love my country. Um, man, I, amen. I mean, I, I still, you know, every time I watch the Olympics or, or even a, a football game and, and I hear the national anthem, uh, I don't know, but I get an allergy attack at the end of that song every time I hear it. It's, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. Uh, and I am so, so incredibly grateful that God blessed me to live in this country. Um, and I love my country, but... I love my Lord and the kingdom of God even more. Amen. Amen. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit uh, this morning about our country and maybe some lessons that we can learn from it that apply to our walk as followers of Jesus Christ. So on July the 4th, 1776, which will be 242 years ago, I believe, uh, this Wednesday, the founders of our country, some very, very brave men, put their names on a document called the Declaration of Independence. And they basically, in signing that document, they declared to Great Britain and the rest of the world that we are not going to be under the thumb of Great Britain anymore. We... We're going to do stuff our way, and we're going to make our country the way we want it to be made. <laughs> so there. So we just made that declaration right out loud, right up front. And we made no bones about it. Those guys were incredibly brave and unbelievably um, foresight um, uh, visionaries that could see that if they wanted to have the kind of country that they really believed that God was calling them to, they couldn't keep doing things the way that Great Britain had done them. Well, to nobody's surprise, I guess, really, Great Britain said, well, we don't like that. And uh, so they began to resist. Well, we said, enough of that. We're not going to go along with that either. And so war broke out and we won. Yay! That was not the end of the war. I don't know if you know this or not, but war broke out again in what we call the War of 1812. A lot of people call that the Second War of Independence. How many of you here this morning knew that? See, a lot of you had no idea. 
The War of 1812 was once again fought mostly with Great Britain, and a lot of historians call that the Second War of Independence, because we hadn't really established ourselves yet. We hadn't really proven that we could be a viable, independent, fully functioning country. And so Great Britain decided, you know, through a variety of circumstances, well, we're going we're gonna to push back on this. We're going to try to reestablish ourselves. And one night during the bombardment of Fort McHenry, a man on the deck of a ship in Baltimore Harbor, as he watched the cannon folly back and forth between the British ships and this fledgling nation, wrote a poem that would become the national anthem for that young country. And on the last line of that poem, he said that the flag of that country flies or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And what he was saying is that flag, those stars and stripes, it may be beaten a little bit, it may be tattered a little bit, but it flies over an independent and free people. And you can try to enforce your will on us all you want, and it will never work because we are independent. Now, I think it's kind of interesting how this uh, desire for independence not only was part of the founding of our country, but it it has really worked its way into the fabric of our personal DNA. I mean, we love our independence, do we not? Amen. I mean, we, we, we want to do stuff our way and when we want to do it. And, and there's a, a song that a lot of you know, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but uh, there was a gal by the name of Kelly Clarkson, she, uh, uh, American Idol fame, she won the first year, and she did this song called Miss Independent, and here's, here's what some of the lyrics say. Miss Independent, Miss Self-Sufficient, Miss keep your distance, miss unafraid, miss out of my way, Uh, miss don't let no man interfere, miss on her own, miss almost grown, miss never let a man help her off her throne, Uh, 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 uh. (laughs) that was a big hit. But you know what? That is not a unique song. That is not a -a one-of-a-kind song. There are literally hundreds of songs. Am I I scratching again? It must be in my... I'm going to bend that out a little bit away from... uh, That might help. All right, we'll try that. Um, There are literally hundreds of songs that cry out and celebrate independence. Man, I could, have, I could have grabbed a lyrics from a whole bunch of them, but I just thought that one would be appropriate because the title was Miss Independent. And, and so this, this has sort of worked its way into our mindset at a very personal level. And, and I would tell you this, this desire for independence is not just a sort of a national ideal. It is a, a very, very personal ideal in our culture. 
The interesting thing is, though, is that this push for independence was actually never about uh, individual independence as we like to embrace it and practice it. It was actually about political independence. And in fact, it says so right in the very beginning of this document that we call the Declaration of Independence. And it says this, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve, what's the next three words? The political bands. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another. Folks, that is what the Declaration of Independence is actually about. It is about political independence. Now, I will tell you that independence is a fabulous, wonderful, amazing thing for a nation. But I want to caution you this morning. Because while it's a great thing for a nation, it is incredibly detrimental and I would say doggone near uh, dangerous and deathly at a personal level. Great, great, great at a national level, incredibly dangerous at a personal level, and especially when it comes to our spiritual health. So I want to talk to you this morning on this Sunday before Independence Day about two things in particular that this spirit of independence fights against and really uh, hurts us spiritually in two areas, two things that God instituted that are really critical to the, the design that he gave us in the world. One is our marriages and two is in our church, our churches. So how this spirit of independence damages our marriages and our churches. And I, I think these two things are really wound tightly together. And the reason I say that is because in Ephesians chapter five, if you're familiar with that passage at all, Paul is talking about the, the marriage relationship. And he's talking about how husbands should relate to wives and how wives should relate to husbands. And at the end of that passage, he goes, this is a great mystery. Well, most husbands would agree with that. Man, it is a great mystery. I don't get this at all. But, but what he's saying there is that this is a great mystery. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus Christ and the what? The church. So Paul spends this enormous amount of time talking about how husbands relate to wives, wives relate to husbands, and at the end he says, it's a great mystery, and everybody goes, yeah, it is a great mystery, but he says, but that's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and the church because the church is called the what of Christ? The bride of Christ. It's also called the body, yes, but it's, but it's called the bride of Christ. And so this, the marriage relationship is vitally connected to the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ. And I, this morning, I want to help you understand how our personal desire for independence, how we love to wave the flag and say we're independent, that's great at a national level, but it's not so great when it comes to our marriages and our churches. 
All right. So with that being said, God instituted marriage way, way, way back in the beginning. I think most of us get that. We read about it in Genesis. But then Jesus reaffirmed that. So now open up your Bible to Mark. Mark chapter 10. Sometimes people are not really sure if Jesus uh, agreed with what God did all the way back in Genesis, but I want to affirm to you that he did, and I'll let his words speak for you itself. Uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. All right, now, Let me just pause for a second. This is not part of my message this morning, but I just feel like I need to address this. If you're somebody here this morning and you have, you feel like you have tendencies toward same-sex attraction, or maybe you're actually engaging in a same-sex relationship, first of all, I want you to know that God loves you and you matter to him. The second thing I want you to know is that we love you and you matter to us because we are all sinners saved by grace. One sin is not greater than the other, all right? Sin is sin and everybody stands in need of a savior before God Almighty. All right, so if you're here this morning, I want you to know that I am not judging you. I am not devaluing you. You are as much value to God as I am. But I want you to understand that Jesus agreed with God's order of creation. There are a lot of people who say, well, Jesus never spoke about same-sex relationships or homosexual attraction. Well, actually, he did right here because he said... Uh, God made them male and female. He was agreeing with God's order of design. And so while he may not have addressed it directly, he addressed it indirectly by affirming God's created order. You follow me? All right. So he said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And then they are no longer two, but one flesh. All right. So what does that mean? That the two will become one flesh. Does that mean you lose yourself? Does that mean that you lose your identity? And if it does, why in the world would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody want to give up who they are and lose their own self because I got married? Why in the world would that make sense to anybody? What in the world is God saying in Genesis and what is Jesus affirming in the gospel of Matthew when he says the two shall be one flesh. Church, I would suggest to you that this is one of the biggest challenges that we face in building strong, healthy families and marriages in our country today. I would also suggest to you that this is probably one of the greatest contributors in our modern culture of moving people away from marriage itself. More and more people don't even bother with marriage anymore. 
And, and I think this desire for independence that I am who I am and I will not lose who I am to anybody or anything makes us withdraw and oppose when we see that the Bible says the two will become one flesh. I don't want to give up myself. How many of you know that so many people get married now and the ones that do, and they still got two separate checking accounts? Some of you might, might be sitting here right now and, and you're married and you got two separate checking accounts. Why? Because you're not going to lose yourself. I'm going I'm to be who I am. I don't care if I'm married or not. Okay, well, good luck with that. But we don't like losing anything that we feel like is part of who we are and giving it away to somebody else. And as a result, we sort of become less than who we thought we were. And because this verse and this concept, I think, is so misunderstood, it makes strong marriages hard in our culture today. And for a lot of people, it makes marriage not even an option at all. So what in the world is God actually saying there? Well, let me, uh, let me give you an idea. All right. When God said, the two shall be one, he made, he made male and he made female, right? He made them both uniquely who they were. He made a man. He made a woman. He didn't make them the same. He made them very, very different, and I'm just going to let, uh, let the blue stand for the guy and, and let the red stand for the gal. All right, so when he brought them together, he said that the two shall become one flesh. And here's what I think that he really meant, is that they begin to intertwine themselves together. Two completely separate individuals, two completely separate, different identities. But as they come together, they begin to enmesh themselves with each other. They become intertwined. And as a result, when it's all said and done, they become something much, much more and much stronger than they were as one. Now, I don't know if you can tell this or not, but each one of these is still clearly visible. Each one of these is still clearly identifiable. So the, the blue cord, which stands for the, for the male, the blue cord didn't lose its identity. The red one, which stands for the female in this little illustration, did not lose its identity. It did not lose its core structure. It's still clearly identifiable. But now intertwined together, they're both stronger than either one of them was by itself, right? You tracking this? So that's when God says they shall be one flesh, he's not saying that you lose who you are, you give up who you are. Listen, God made male, he made female. Why would he want you to vanish simply because you got married? That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying this. You intentionally commit yourselves together. You intertwine your lives and you become something more together than either one of you were by yourself. But there's even a better way than this. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. Most of you are going to be familiar with this verse as well. He says, Solomon said, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. Two together. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So Solomon says, well, let's introduce a, a third component in here. And so we're going to introduce one more piece to this. And uh, I'm going to tie these together at the top so that I can make this work a little better. All right, so we're still going to stick with our original idea here of uh, red being uh, the woman and the blue being the guy. But we're going to add a white piece in here, which we're going to let stand for God or the Holy Spirit. So when we put these two together, right, these are stronger than either one by itself. And one of these can be overpowered by something, someone, some event, some situation. When we're trying to be independent, when we're trying to just do it our own way with nobody else's help, we can, we can be taken down. But he says, when you wrap yourselves in life with someone else, then you become stronger and more able to withstand those difficult seasons, situations, events, whatever in life. So this is better than this. But he said there's a better way. So if you introduce three parties, and in this case, we're going to say that third party is God or the Holy Spirit, and they began to intertwine themselves together, then the next thing you know, you've got something stronger still. Now, as in our first example, you will see that everything is still clearly identifiable, is it not? The red cord is still the red cord. You can see it. The blue cord is still the blue cord. You can see it. The white cord is still the white cord. You can see it. Nothing, nobody has lost their identity, their uniqueness of who they are, but now intertwined together, they are even stronger than simply two together. And Solomon says that this is not easily broken. Can we all agree that life can get really hard? Can we all agree that there are situations in the world that take us by surprise and they can totally overwhelm us? And when we're trying to live life like this, can I just tell you, you are almost guaranteed to go down. When you are trying, guys especially, we're supposed to be providers, conquerors, tough guys. We can make it all work. We don't need nobody's help. When we're trying to do life like this, you can go down. When you're in a marriage relationship and you say, I don't care what happens, I stood before God and before other people and I pledged my loyalty till death do us part. I said 
for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. This goes a lot farther than either one of these by itself. But brothers and sisters, when you start adding in that third strand, that strand of God in the middle of it, this, this can take anything. This can take anything. And this is exactly what God was saying in Genesis. It's what Jesus was affirming in, in, in the gospel of Mark. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that rather than seeking your independence this morning, you need to pursue interdependence. We love our independence. We write songs about our independence. We set off fireworks for our independence. That's great as a nation, but it is detrimental and nearly deadly at a spiritual and personal level, church. God designed us and wants us not to pursue personal independence but personal interdependence. Are you tracking? And I would suggest to you this morning, and it's not hard to see, that that is exactly what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit practice. When we, when we look through the scriptures, when we look at, at the model of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we see them modeling interdependence. So let's just use this again, but now let's use this as the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one of them have a unique identity and a unique role, do they not? Yes? All right. And yet, together they form one God, the one true God. When Jesus was here on the earth, He said that he does only, only what the Father tells him to do. You know that, right? I do only what the Father tells me to do. So does that mean that Jesus was a wimp? Does that mean that he just was bad at making decisions? Man, I just can't make up my mind. I can't figure anything out unless the Father tells me. I am so clueless. That's not what Jesus did at all. And it's not who Jesus was. Jesus made a choice to be interdependent upon the Father. And he said, I and the Father are one. I'm I'm equal with the Father. And when you read Genesis, they were all participating together in creation. Jesus was a primary architect in creation. But while he walked this earth, he said, I do only what the Father tells me. Why? Because he was not willing to be independent of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And when we try to live lives that are independent of God, when we try to live lives that are independent of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, when we try to live lives that are independent of our spouse, we are setting ourselves up 
for failure. It feels really good until you go down. And then it's not so good. And, and you might remember that Solomon also said that when, when somebody is by themselves and they fall down, how sad that is because there's no one there to help them up, right? You know that verse? God is calling us not to pursue our independence, but our interdependence. That's our spiritual example. But what about our cultural example? Because we live in America. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, which I love. And so what do we do with this mindset that we've grown up with and that we've heard for our entire lives that we should be independent? We ought to be able to do what we want, when we want, how we want, however we want. Because after all, that is what our nation was founded on, right? Actually, the answer is no. As I've already mentioned to you, when you read that that phrase in the Declaration of Independence, it talks about political independence. It's unequivocally clear that our nation was declaring political independence from Great Britain. But here's what you might not understand. They committed themselves to personal interdependence. Check this out. This is also in the Declaration of Independence. For the support of this declaration, the Declaration of Independence, and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we, what's the next word? Mutually, in case you're not exactly sure what that means, that means all of us together. That means all of us together. We mutually pledge to, what's the next two words? Each other. All of us together are pledging to all of us that for the support of this declaration, we're pledging our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Does that sound like personal independence, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. Does that sound like personal independence to you? Not a chance. They were saying that we're in this together. And I wonder what would happen if every church that raises the banner of Jesus Christ in America today, what would happen if Orchardville Church this morning said at every person's heart and core that I pledge to everybody else in the church that I worship and serve my God in, I pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor. How much could we change the world for the kingdom of God? We were willing to do that to establish a nation that when it's all said and done, one day will come and go. But the kingdom of God will last for how long? Forever. Forever. 
We will give our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor for a temporary thing. How much greater would it be if all of God's people in churches all across America would look at each other and look at their church and say, I pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor to grow the kingdom of God together with you. Wow. What would happen in families and homes all across America and in our churches if every husband and wife would truly, at the core of their being, look at each other and say, I pledge to you my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor. How much different would the world be? How much different would our nation be if God's people really pursued that sort of interdependence rather than personal independence? You think our country would still look like it does today if God's people lived this way within ourselves? Not a chance. See, what we've done is we've let the outside culture wash over us and dictate to us how we think about God's world, God's kingdom, and his church. It doesn't work the same. And so while on the 4th of July, I will be celebrating big time, I will be thanking God that I live in this great land Land of the free and the home of the brave. I'll be thanking God for the blessing of liberty in the United States of America. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, no matter how much I love my country, no matter how much I get choked up at the national anthem, it is nothing compared to the kingdom of God and what God's call is on us. Amen? Benjamin Franklin said this at the end of signing of the Declaration of Independence. He said, we must all hang together or assuredly we will all hang separately. That's exactly what the devil is trying to do in churches and in families all across the United States. He's trying to get us to go separate ways, to think separate ideas, to pursue our own way of doing things. Well, that's my ministry. I don't like the way you're doing it over there. So that we will ultimately hang separately instead of hanging together to accomplish the mission of God. I think these founders that God gave us for our country a whole lot right and we ought to learn from them because there are biblical principles that we ought to be living out and we're not interdependence is when two or more parties agree to mesh themselves together They're fully capable of functioning apart from each other. They're fully capable of maintaining their identity. But they choose, because they see the value in it, they choose to wind themselves together, to enmesh themselves 
in each other's life because they realize that when it's all said and done, when I do this, I don't lose myself. In fact, I gain much more. Church, this needs to be us. It needs to be us in the house of God. It needs to be us in the houses that we go to when we reach the end of the day. This needs to be our marriages. It needs to be our families. This needs to be our goal. And so this morning, I'm challenging you and I'm asking you to do one of the best things that you could possibly do for yourself today in this week. Make today, make today your declaration of interdependence day. Make it your declaration of interdependence day first with God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we get ready to close this service, but make this your interdependence day with God. You might be here this morning and you've been trying to make life work on your own. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. You might have small moments of windows of success, but they will never sustain. Because apart from God, you can do nothing. Make today your interdependence day on God. And if you need to say yes to God for the very first time today, we're going to give you a chance in just a moment. Where you can walk down here and you can kneel at this aisle, you can pray with somebody and invite Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you can begin this process of winding yourself together with Jesus so that you become so much more than you are right now. Because this is the way that you become all that God intended you to be is by enmeshing yourself with God. Make this week, make today a declaration of interdependence day with your spouse. We just have way too many families, way too many husbands and wives that just go about their life and they're just living independent lives and there's nothing being meshed at all. Look at each other sometime today sometime this week say I don't want to do life without you God gave me you and I want to pledge to you my life my fortune my sacred honor I want to please you in all that I do and I want our lives to reflect joy and I want our lives to reflect God and I want our lives to be so much more than it is right now and then make today or make this week your declaration of interdependence day with your church because you will never accomplish on your own what you can accomplish by being a part of this church You need this church, and this church needs you. We're in it together. Interdependence says we choose to be in it together. Father, I pray that you'll take your word this morning. God, would you speak to every heart? Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs Jesus as their Savior, I pray that they'll have the courage to come quickly.
to this platform and pray with someone to invite Christ into their life. Lord, for marriages this morning all over this building, God, I pray that you will begin the process of healing and restoring things that need to be healed and restored. God, begin the work of strengthening homes as a reflection of you in the world. And Lord, help us to see our need for this church. And God, may every person here feel how valued they are by this church. God, help us today to make a declaration of interdependence in all these facets of our life in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to stand. And as the worship team sings, husbands, wives, come together. Take a few minutes to pray at the altar together. You don't even need to have anything bad going on. Just come and just recommit to engaging in life together interdependently. Come commit yourself to the church. Come commit yourself to Jesus as we sing. It is a beautiful thing to see husbands and wives coming together and praying together. Man, that shakes the world. darkness no more and what a day that will be when we finally meet you Lord oh and hallelujah we shall rise and hallelujah we shall
Amen. What a great week to be together in the house of God. What a great week to be blessed to be in this country. As we go this afternoon to our different homes and places of work for this week, as Aaron prayed over the people, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in grace. God be with you, everybody. Have a great week as we celebrate this great day. Amen.